Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. When Jesus had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfill the scripture, he who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. I tell you the truth. Whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. And whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. The disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to Jesus, next to him. Simon Peter mentioned, motioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. And leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I've dipped it in the dish. Then, Dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. What you're about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought that Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. Good morning. Peter, thank you very much for reading for us. As we turn to God's word, let me pray. Father, we thank you for the marvelous love of our Savior. We thank you that he was willing to come and to wash us clean by dying in our place on the cross. 
And as we think again about his love and, and what it means to follow his example this morning, please would you help us to walk in his footsteps, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. There is an advert on TV at the moment, so maybe you've seen it. It's uh, from a well-known rice supplier. I don't want to name any names this morning, but let's call them Uncle Benedict. And um, if you've seen the advert, you'll know there's a, a dad and a son sitting on the sofa one day, and as the camera zooms in, you realize that the dad is uh, munching on some food, and, and so is the son. And as the camera moves even closer, you realize the dad is eating a pack of crisps. And as the camera pans around, the son is eating exactly the same kind of crisps. The dad is uh, aware that his example is impacting his child, not in a good way, um, and so he feels a bit guilty. He gets up and goes to the kitchen. He starts producing a healthy meal using said Uncle Benedict's product and produces a lovely, healthy meal, which he enjoys. And of course, the son comes in and enjoys the meal with him. And the advert works because we know it's true. Children copy their parents. You see that a parent eat, eats junk food, the, the child eats junk food. The parents eat healthily, the child eats healthily. That's how it works, isn't it? Um, the, the, the dad supports a certain football team, so the son. And um, it's right on this day, Mother's Day, that we, we remember um, our mothers and the good example and impact they've had in our lives uh, for good. Of course, it can be a scary thing as we uh, grow up and realize that actually we do copy our parents. Um, I realize that I buy the same car as my dad, and um, I find that I make the same comments and insights about life as my dad, which is a scary thing. And uh, also, I've got my dad's sense of humor, which is also a scary thing. But it's not just families where we see this uh, copying happening. Of course not. We, we, um, we copy all kinds of influences around us. So uh, our colleagues at work, our friends, our neighbors, the things that we see on TV, social media, all kinds of messages about um, how we should dress and how we should spend our money and um, the hobbies we should have, what kind of political views are appropriate, all kinds of things coming at us that, whether we like it or not, actually have a big impact on us. We are influenced by the examples of others. Of course, uh, tragically, darkly, we've seen this week in London, haven't we? in the kind of worst kind of way, how the example of others can impact terrorism that we've seen in London, um, in, in many ways copying the example of others terribly, wickedly. And I think the world's in a bit of a, a quandary because the world knows that we do follow role models. We are influenced by others, but people aren't quite sure where to go for the right kind of model. Where do we look for the right way to live? There's a vacuum, if you like, of, of the right kind of examples. Well, hear the words of Jesus for us this morning, John 13, and here's our key verse for this morning, verse 15. Jesus says to his followers, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. It's, it's Thursday evening. Within 24 hours, Jesus will be dead, hung on a Roman cross, and on the eve of his death, he begins to teach his followers how he wants them to live after he leaves them to, to, to go back to his father. And he's very clear, isn't he? Verse 15 again. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And this morning we're going to think about what this example is. We're going to fill our minds and visions with, with the right kind of example. The right inspiration. 
And it'd be good, wouldn't it, if that rubs off on us and changes our lives as God's word does its work. I've got three points this morning. The first one is this. We are called to serve like Jesus. If you were here last week, we saw, didn't we, in the first part of John 13, how remarkably, extraordinarily, Jesus came and he took off his, his outer garments and he knelt down and he washed physically his disciples' uh, mucky feet. And it's an acted parable of the cross, for in just a moment on the cross, he will die to uh, take away our spiritual filth, our sin, through the washing of his blood. Jesus says in verse 14, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. He's not saying here that we should go and, and sacrificially die for one another. Oh, oh, he does that for us once and for all. That's his job. But he is saying there's a, there's a model here. There's an example of how we should live practically, physically. Growing up, uh, one of the churches that we were involved in at one point used to have foot-washing evenings. And... Um, I think it'll be an evening of um, prayer and perhaps of repentance and, of course, foot washing. And everyone was asked to bring with them a, a basin and a towel. And, of course, everyone brought carefully pre-washed feet. Uh, you wouldn't want people thinking you had dirty feet on a, on a foot washing night. That would be terrible. And I guess this happened a couple of times a year. It was a significant part of the sort of church diary calendar. And it was all very formal, carefully staged. And you can kind of see the logic, can't you, of why that happens? Because Jesus does it practically, physically. Then he says, verse 14, I've done this thing for you. Do the same for others. So I guess the question is, you know, um, in what way are we to serve? Are we, should we have a, a foot washing time this morning? Have you brought your basin and towel? Should we you know, prolong the service that way? Well, I think to have that, kind of understanding of the pattern it, it asks too little of us there's, there's nothing wrong with a physical foot washing and um, that may be a good way to serve one another if that's the right context but I think that kind of application misses the point of what Jesus is saying here in verse 14 it, it's too easy you see back in Jesus day when people wore open toed sandals and the, the, the roads were dirty and dusty there wasn't lovely tarmac uh, roads with pavings, um, you got dirty feet. You couldn't avoid it. And of course, you'd come home and there's no running water, no bath, no instant hot water, and um, cleaning your feet was a genuine problem. And so in this context, to wash each other's feet was to meet a genuine, real, messy, daily need. Of course, in the 21st century, we, we have uh, shoes, we have uh, clean roads, we have running hot water at home, um, dirty feet isn't really, for most of us, the, the kind of pressing problem that we have. And so to limit foot washing to a couple of formal nights of the year, when people bring their clean feet anyway, it, it's too easy. So what does Jesus mean in verse 14 when he says, you also should wash one another's feet? Well, here's my working definition of the kind of service that Jesus has in mind. To serve like Jesus would mean laying aside our rights and our rank to stoop down to meet the practical, daily, and messy needs of others because we love them. I don't know, it, it would mean uh, when we come here on a Sunday morning, walking into this building and 
rather than sitting in our favorite pew because of the nice view and the good temperature and access to the edge of the row and so on, we would first think, who's on their own? Or who's had a hard week? Who needs a word of encouragement? I'll sit with them rather than in my favorite place. Or I don't know if you know this, but um, every week there's a small handful of people who clean the church loose across the way. Um, they're always clean, wonderfully, but it doesn't happen by accident. People do it. And of a church of hundreds of people, only two or three are willing to do it. And yet they come, often late at night or early in the morning, to, to clean the loose for us. We don't know who they are. They come and do it wonderfully. Or well, the churchyard needs regular mowing, strimming, hacking, tidying, particularly at springtime. It's always a struggle to find people who are willing to get up a Saturday morning to do that. It might mean giving someone a lift to church who can't drive. It might mean taking them shopping or picking up the phone to chat or inviting them for dinner or, or just spending time listening to how their life is going. Do you see the point? We are called to serve like Jesus, laying aside our rights and rank to stoop down to meet the practical daily and messy needs of others because we love them. Of course, if you're anything like me, then um, we're tempted to serve, but to serve so that others notice what we're doing. If, you know, if you've ever been hoovering and um, somewhere public, um, it's tempting just to, to prolong the hoovering moment just in case someone might come around the corner and notice you hoovering. So you just string it out a bit longer. Pete, you're hoovering. Isn't that tremendous? Thank you for hoovering. That's not the kind of service that Jesus has in mind here. It's not about impressing other people. It's about humbly serving because we love other people. We are called to serve like Jesus. And so before we move on this morning, here's our, our, our first question for us to consider. We might want to consider it over lunch today or in our small group this week. Here's the question. Where can I start serving other people in a costly and humble way? My guess is that for most of us here this morning, this is not a new thought for us. Perhaps we've been a Christian for a while, and we know that actually we are called to love people in this sacrificial, costly kind of way. And we, it's not a surprise to us this morning. But I reckon actually we've tried it, and we know it's hard. We've um, begun a new week with great intentions to serve this way, but by the end of the week, it hasn't happened as we wanted it to. It's hard to live this way. And... We hear the pattern this morning, we think, yes, yes, this is good, this is right, but I know that I'm not good at it. Well, I think John 13 has some huge things that will help us to actually serve this way in practice. How does John 13 help? Well, here's our second point this morning. Remember the identity of Jesus. Do you see in that verse 13, he says, you call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Teacher, Lord, two titles of great respect and authority. But uh, there's, there's more than that in John 13. If you remember back um, last week, verse 1, Jesus says that the time has come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. That is, the, the heavenly Father. Jesus is the Son of God. Remarkable status. Or verse three, uh, he is the one whom the Father has put all things under his power. That's a lot of power. 
Well, then I wonder, later on in the reading, did you notice that Jesus warns his followers that he's going to be betrayed by Judas? Well, he doesn't say who it is yet quite, but he's going to be betrayed. And he tells them about the betrayal before it happens. And verse 19 tells us why. I am telling you now before the betrayal happens, so that when it does happen, you'll believe that I am he. That little thing, I am he, that, that's, I'm certain, referring back to the Old Testament um, when God revealed his name to Moses, uh, his special covenant name. And uh, I am he is, is like the Lord saying, I am the Lord, I will be who I will be. And I think Jesus is making a claim here to be the Lord, God himself, the God of the Old Testament. When the disciples realize that Jesus correctly predicted the betrayal, they will realize that he is actually God himself. And so as we come to John 13, we see that Jesus is the truly great one. The greatest status, the greatest power, the master of history, surprised by nothing, in charge of everything, God himself, yet stooping so very low to serve. Remember the identity of Jesus. And this helps us to serve, doesn't it? Because if Jesus, this great and glorious one, if he was willing to step so far down from his mighty place of glory to serve in a low and costly way, then surely we should be willing to, in a smaller way, step from our place of um, right and rank to serve others. Or do we think that we are greater than Jesus? So here's a second question for us this morning, one to bat around afterwards. When do we feel too important to serve? They'll be the obvious ones, I guess. Spending a day wiping the saliva off the toys in the preschool hub does feel pretty low. Uh, choosing to park further away from the church building so that others might park closer than us can feel hard, particularly when it's windy and rainy. I mean, it's lovely today, but often it's not this way. But what about the less obvious stuff? Here's a couple of areas I think are less obvious, but we need to think about. There's what I call social importance. I remember I used to work for an engineering firm, and um, in that firm, there's all kinds of ranks throughout the, the company. There were engineers, and then senior engineers, and then senior project engineers, and then team leader engineers, then overall team leader engineers, then division leaders, and so on and so on. And if you ask someone, oh, what do you do here at the firm? Oh, you're a senior project lead engineer in the operations branch of the main division. Oh, wow, very good. Of course, um, being a gap year trainee, I was right at the bottom of the pecking order. But uh, that's how our world works, isn't it? There is a social standing in our workplace, a pecking order. But um, there's a social standing away from work as well. The way that we dress and look after ourselves, um, the way that we talk, our accent, our humor, our age the kind of people who are naturally drawn to us, all these things kind of place us within a pecking order. And so when we walk into a room at a party, perhaps we look around the room, we're scanning to see who else is there, and we kind of have a sense of where we belong in the pecking order, and we end up speaking to people that we think we deserve to speak to. But to humbly serve would mean to lay aside the pecking order. It would mean the managing director coming and speaking to the trainee. It would mean going to speak to the homeless person the smelly person, 
the awkward person, the quiet person, the lonely person. This is the pattern Jesus gives us unless we think that we are greater than him. That's social importance. What about um, what I call diary importance? Uh, I think we notice this particularly in London, but I'm sure it happens elsewhere as well. If you try to, to see someone in London to arrange a coffee or something, and they open their diary and they thumb through it, and it turns out, lo and behold, the only free slot they have is in three weeks' time between uh, 2.17 and 2.52 for um, 35 minutes on a Monday. And um, that's it. That's the only slot they have. Um, don't, don't mishear me. It's not a bad thing to be busy. Many people are busy in wonderful ways. But when you hear that kind of response, oh, my diary is so packed, I just can't fit you in. Um, there is, partly isn't there a sense in which a busy diary can say to people, look, I'm in demand. People need me. I'm important. Look how busy I am. But also there's a sense in which our diaries can be full of things that are really just about us. So we can be busy with work, but actually the work is about trying to earn the promotion to increase our status or salary. Or our diaries can be packed full of the next triathlon training because we want to increase our, our image. Or they can be full of hobbies or networking. But in fact, these are all really about us. And I do wonder if we have time and space in our diaries for messy people, for people who have needs and problems. Now, please don't mishear me. I'm not saying it's wrong to be busy. And, and actually, here at Forward, there are many people who are brilliantly busy doing all kinds of things, both professionally and caring for people. And it's remarkable to see. Laura and I have been loved and cared for in many ways, and it's just brilliant. And I'm not saying to those who do work this way wonderfully to kind of try even harder. It can be overwhelming, can't it? I mean, we, there are too many feet to wash um, for us to wash them all. I'm not trying to lay guilt on people. And yet it is right for us just to take time to look at our diaries. What is filling our diaries? Is it just about me? Or do we have time and space to lay aside our time to serve other people? For it will be costly and messy to do so. Remember the identity of Jesus. He was not too busy or too socially important to stoop down to serve us. Are we more important than Jesus? Finally, remember the people Jesus served. I think this will help us to keep on serving. Remember the people Jesus served. If you remember in John 13, in the, in the initial context, Jesus is serving his 12 disciples. And how do they respond to the foot washing? Thank you, Jesus. That was remarkable. We're so grateful. No, that's not how they respond. They are uh, put off by it. They say, no, thank you. You won't wash me. They don't understand. And actually, over the page in John 13, we'll see next week that Peter painfully disowns Jesus, the one who has just served him. But I think the main character who dominates John 13 in terms of the people being served by Jesus, the main one is Judas. And I've, I wrestled this week with why betrayal is such a big part of John 13. It kind of cuts through the whole chapter. Just look at how big a place betrayal plays in the chapter. Verse 2, we're reminded that Judas will betray Jesus. Verse 11, Jesus says that not everyone is clean, for Judas will betray him. Verse 19, 
Jesus knows before it happens that Judas will betray him. And then verse 26, Jesus clearly identifies Judas with the bread as the one who betrays him. You see, four different and very clear reminders that a betrayal is coming. Why why is it so prominent? I'm sure there's a number of reasons, but I think a key one is this, that we are to see that Jesus is willing to serve anyone, including his betrayer. Remember, Judas was one of the 12 who would have been washed by Jesus physically at that last meal, served by Jesus, even though Jesus knew he was going to betray him. And then also, remarkably, as the meal unfolds, something amazing happens. Let's pick up the story again at verse 21. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. I think what happens next is just majestic. I think it's extraordinary. Jesus knows that he's about to die the most agonizing death in human history. He's troubled in spirit because of that. And yet look at how he responds. He has this tricky thing to do because he needs to say enough about how the betrayal will happen in order that his disciples after the event will look back and realize that he knew all along that it would happen this way. Do you see? But if he says too much about how the betrayal will happen and if he says in a way which they realize it's definitely going to be Judas, then you can imagine someone like Peter whipping out a sword and running Judas through. And that must not happen because Jesus will go to the cross and it will happen through betrayal. This betrayal must not be stopped. Do you see? Jesus has to be clear. He knows what's going to happen without giving the whole game away such that it stops. And the way that he conducts himself under such extraordinary pressure, I think is remarkable how he manages the meal. Verse 25 Peter says, Lord, who is it? Verse 26, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. And sure enough, he gives the bread to Judas. Now to us sitting here 2,000 years later, we're not in the room, we can't read the body language and the facial expressions. It it does seem very clear that Jesus is saying, it'll be the one I give the bread to, and oh, Judas, here's the bread. It does seem very clear it's Judas. But for whatever reason, Jesus knows that it won't give the game away. And sure enough, the disciples don't realize that what he is doing is pointing to Judas as the betrayer. Judas leaves, they don't know why, give money to the poor, prepare a meal, but they don't get it. But what's most striking of all is that under this great pressure, Jesus, rather than giving Judas away, It would have been so tempting, wouldn't it, to say, he'll betray me, knowing that it releases him from the cross. He doesn't do that. But also, he gives Judas bread. And in that culture, to offer your guest a piece of bread was a sign of profound friendship and hospitality. And here is Jesus giving Judas a piece of bread, saying, here is friendship. I will serve you if you will let me. Of course, verse 30, as soon as Judas has taken the bread, he went out and it was night. You see, the kind offer is met with betrayal. Darkness comes as the Son of Man is about to be handed over. But through this whole chapter, we see Jesus willing to serve anyone up to and including people who would betray him. And so here's a final question for us this morning. 
what area of service am I considering giving up because of the way I've been treated? You can imagine it, can't you, thinking, they've, they've never thanked me. They've never noticed all that I did for them. They've never, well, they've never kind of pointed out how well I've served. They've, they've let me down. Have you ever felt that way? Serving, family, perhaps this church family here, I don't know. Can I say, let's not take it personally if that happens. Let's not wallow in self-pity as if we are being singled out for raw treatment. For the Son of God was treated this way first and far worse than we will ever be treated. I know I've let people down. I've taken them for granted. I've not thanked them as I should. And the reality is that this side of glory, this church family here, even though it's a brilliant church family, uh, we will let each other down. We're not perfect. There'll be moments when we don't thank people when we should have thanked them. But if we wait to serve until the conditions are just right and the people are lovely, we might just be waiting to serve a long time. And to serve like Jesus puts ourselves into a vulnerable place. We open ourselves up to being taken advantage of. If we come to someone saying, look, I'll serve you with whatever it takes. I'm here to help. What do you need? We are becoming vulnerable. People might take us for a ride. But when we, we remember that first Jesus served before he was betrayed, well, I think it helps us to keep going even if we experience something of that betrayal ourselves. Just as we finish, I do want to say this morning that I found this very hard to prepare this week. It's been very challenging for me. Um, This is a remarkable example to try to follow. And um, I've been rejoicing, and I hope you can this morning as well, in the thought that Jesus knows each one of us. And he knows how we've failed to serve, even this week, and how we will go on failing to serve in the future. And yet, he has chosen to love us, even with our imperfect serving. And so let us rejoice that we have this wonderful teacher and Lord who has washed us clean from every mistake we've made in our service. But also let me finish by pointing out verse 17. This, this can feel very heavy this morning, can't it? But look at verse 17. Jesus says, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Serving can feel like death at times. Very hard. And yet Jesus says that this is the way of blessing. It is, it is good for us to serve this way. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you again this morning for the marvelous love of our Savior. We thank you that he has come to wash even us And um, perhaps we're aware this morning of how we have failed to serve as we should. We thank you even in that failure that you know, and yet you love us. Father, please, would you help us to fill again our, our minds, our hearts, our vision with this example of Christ. And please, would you help us to leave here today and to follow in his footsteps, sacrificially serving others, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.